Right. If you uh, brought your Bible this morning, I would invite you to open it to Genesis chapter 4. Um, as a church, we're walking through the book of Genesis, the first 11 chapters here before Christmas. You will be greatly helped if you have the Word of God in front of you. We may have noticed that we're having some issues, technical difficulties with our projector. However, I don't usually put the words up there anyway. So today is just a convenient excuse. Um, open up your Bible, take out your phone. If you need a Bible, there's a bunch on a table back there, and I'm sure Ed would love to put one in your hand if you put it in the air. But we're in Genesis chapter 4. I also want to, just as you're turning there, I just want to thank Amanda and Lily this morning for leading us in worship. Um, if you don't know, thank them. Um, our church has been through sort of a transition where some of the worship leaders are concerned in the last well, just six months, we've seen a lot of transition. And so um, Amanda and Lily have stepped up and have served as well as leaders. And a number of you are serving with them as well. So I just want to thank you. Um, this morning it was uh, very beautiful. Um, so thank you, ladies, for that. Um, Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to read for us verses 1 through 16. And then um, I'll pray and we'll start out here. This is Genesis chapter 4, verses 1. Now Adam knew his Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering... But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and, for, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, as we consider your word to us this morning, I pray that it would come to us as it has from one generation to the next, Lord. That it would come to us and it would confront us where we are. Lord, and it would call us um, to a life that you have called us to, a life that we are to live by faith. Lord, I pray that your word would convict us, that it would encourage us where it needs to encourage us, and it would challenge us where it needs to challenge us, Lord. I pray that this word, which we believe to be eternal and true, that you would take it and that you would write it on our hearts as your people. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. 
Well, the song opens with an ambient noise of a party. It's a homecoming for a Vietnam veteran. But beneath the celebration, there's an uneasiness. Marvin Gaye's What's Going On looked at the forces that were shaping American culture at the beginning of the 1970s. That moment when the hippie era idealism clashed with the realities of poverty, of war, drug abuse, and racial tension. Gay didn't shout, didn't demand anything. His approach was cautious. Father, we don't need to escalate. In 1970, Marvin Gaye had found himself at a crossroads, several crossroads. His marriage was crumbling at his feet. He was devastated by the death of one of his duet partners, Tammy Terrell. And as he looked at the world around him, all he could do was ask a question. What's going on? And the question that Marvin Gaye asked in the early 1970s is a question that has been asked generations leading up to 1970, has really been asked, could be asked, at every generation since. That question, what's going on, is a question that since Genesis chapter 3 can be asked by any people who walk on this earth, who have any interaction with another human being. We can ask that question ourselves. What is going on? the reality of the world that we live in, the world that we navigate, the world that we call home, it's difficult often to make sense of. As we look inside of ourselves and we see brokenness, we see pain, confusion, frustration, and we look at the world outside, we see many of the same things. What is going on? In Genesis chapter 4, we are confronted with the escalation of sin, the escalation of what we found, what first happened in Genesis 3. How are we to respond in light of what is going on? As God's people, how are we to be a people of faith and live the life He has called us to live in a world that honestly can be really hard to make sense of? A temptation could be potentially, to maybe just give up hope. You look at the conflict within, the conflict outside, and you may just want to give up hope and live in fear. Maybe that's a temptation for you this morning. Maybe the temptation is not to give up, but maybe to demand an explanation, right? To go God to the mat and say, explain yourself, God. Maybe for some of us, and I would say this is probably most of us, the temptation is not necessarily to live in fear, or to demand an explanation, but the temptation is to surround yourself with the comforts and the warm fuzzies that this world has to offer. Walk this path, live your life as if it ain't all that bad, okay? That's probably where most of us lie. Temptation to ignore and to just pretend, and I ask the question, right, what's going on? Genesis 4 comes to us this morning and requires that we ask ourselves not just what is going on, but what are we to do about it. This morning we'll see, brothers and sisters, in Genesis 4, it was written, it is given to us, it comes to us this morning, and the result should be that it should strengthen our faith. And boy, do we need that. While we live in a world that can oftentimes be dreadful, we can be hopeful 
ultimately because he is faithful. So this morning what I want to do as we walk through this passage is I want to start just zooming out the big picture of what is happening in the text. And the, the first thing that we see is that there is an acceptable way to approach God. There is an acceptable version of worship. There is a way you can come in and worship God that God will accept. Okay? The story in the Bible, which many of us, this one here in Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, are very familiar with, but how many of us also don't pay any attention to it. I don't know if you're like me, but in, in studying this text, it was, it was kind of eye-opening to me that this is one that I'm very familiar with, but historically hadn't paid a ton of attention to. It's tremendous. It brings a tremendous amount of significance to us today. And what it tells us is that there is a difference between, as we look at how Cain and how Abel approach God, there is a difference between the two of them in their approach. One is accepted and one is rejected. Like us this morning, both of these men went to church, as it were. Both made an offering. They were worshiping, to be clear, the same God. But God only had regard for one of the brothers. The other one, no regard. One of the first things that we learn in Scripture that we see here in Genesis 4 is that there is an appropriate, there is an acceptable way to worship God and there's a wrong way to worship God. We see this in how God responds differently to these two brothers. First thing that we're going to do is, is explore these differences. So as we, what is the difference? It's really important for us because we see two very different responses to these brothers by God. And so what is the difference? What separates this form of worship from that form of worship? Well, let's look at our characters first. We have Cain. Cain is a man who on the surface appears to have everything going for him. He's the firstborn. Think about that. He's the first birthed. Human, right? It's parents, Adam and Eve, first child, this all totally new. Like if, you're, if you give birth to a baby, you have some planning and some preparation that you do months leading up to that, right? You kind of have an idea of what to expect. You know there's going to be pain, right? You know what that baby's going to look like. Okay, for Adam and Eve, it's all new. And, and here's Cain. I mean, just think about the apple of their eye, Right? They're thinking potentially, Eve, that Cain could be the fulfillment of what God said he was ultimately going to do through Eve's offspring to Satan, crush his head, right? So you think about the way that Adam and Eve would have embraced the son, maybe thinking he was the fulfillment of God's promise to them. He was the firstborn. He was the eldest. He was the oldest. His name means, means I have gotten, I have acquired, I possess. Even his name brings significance Right? God is the one who gave it. As the oldest, he would be the one that would get the inheritance. He was a, like his father, he would follow in his father's footsteps and he would be a worker of the soil. It seems like on surface, Cain has the table set. Right? Abel, the other character, the second brother, the second born to Eve that we know of. He's, what's interesting about Abel is actually Eve's lack of comment, which I think tells us enough. There's not much in the text that we know about, Cain, about Abel. Think about their names. The name Cain means I have gotten, I have received from God. Abel means vapor or breath, right? Which goes to tell, you know, it's kind of foreshadowing what his life ultimately would be. He is a keeper of the sheep. These are two brothers that have come together to worship. Two brothers. Seven times in the text it emphasizes the word brother, okay? They are brothers, 
And these brothers draw near to God in worship. Verses 3 through 4, we see this. They are in the church. I mean, how can this go badly? They have a natural, biological association, right? And they gather together to do the exact same thing, to worship the exact same God. You would think that this, this would not be the setting that would lead to the first murder in human history. But you are wrong. We are told, verses 4b through 5, God had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. As he draws near to God, Cain brings the fruit of his labor, which is what you would expect him to bring. Along comes Abel with his offering. Both men construct an altar. There they place the, the fruit of their labor on that altar. God looks down and completely disregards one and delights in the other. And they both knew it. We don't know how they knew it. Was there a voice? Was there smoke? We don't know. But we know Cain's face fell. His face fell because he knew God was not accepting his offering. He was not pleased with him. As you read through the text, listen, it's perplexing. Had we been there, we would have wondered exactly, we would have wondered the same thing we're wondering now, right? What's the difference? Did they not do what you asked them to do? They're offering you what they've got to offer. What's the problem? What's the problem? Well, the difference between the two brothers may not be obvious, it matters. I guarantee you, we see that it mattered to Cain, his face fell. It mattered. To Abel, his life was lost, and it mattered to God. What is the difference? The key to understanding the difference is found in the description of the offering. See that in verses 3 through the beginning of 4. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Cain offered the fruit of his harvest, we're told, while Abel gave the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. I don't know if you notice the difference. It doesn't say, the text doesn't say Cain brought the first fruit of his harvest. It just says he made an offering, the fruit of the ground. Cain's offering lacked any spirit of sacrifice. His offering lacked any spirit of trust. Cain's offering was pocket change that was calculated, it was measured, and it was safe. And he threw it up on the table. Cain would have given, now think about it, if, if Cain would have given just a bit of his harvest, his harvest would have already been reaped, right? And so he would know how much harvest he has, and he just gave some of it to, to God. He knew what the field was going to yield, you could say. Right? There, there was a degree of safety in his offering, of security. It wasn't too much, right? While we're told that Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. And, and th giving the firstborn of his flock, there's no telling how many more would be born, right? So his sacrifice is risky. And he doesn't just bring the firstborn, he brings the best portion of the firstborn, all right? The fat portions, the good stuff, right? The, 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 the part of the meat that gives it flavor, okay? 
He brings the best that he has to, the, to offer. While Cain held back and got by with the minimum, Abel knew that God was worth it and could be trusted and deserved the best he had to give. Cain was addicted to safety and security. It was measured. Abel was captivated by God. What else could he do but give the best that he had? While Cain may look religious, his heart really is far from God. The worship that God accepts, we find out, is that which is genuine and true. A heart that is so in love, so captivated, so enamored by God. It's the heart that we hear in Isaiah 26, 8 through 9. Oh Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. This is a description of what's going on internally in Abel's heart. This is the quality of his heart. This is what God ultimately sees in him. What he has regard for, the text says. A heart that's crazy about God. Dependent on God. Yearning for God. Genesis 4 is good news to us this morning. And it comes to us as good news in the form of a warning. Of a warning. Warnings, folks, are good. If you're a parent here and you have little children, when you leave this place and there's cars backing out and driving around, you should keep your children safe. You should warn them not to leave by your side because it's for their good, right? Genesis 4 comes to us this morning in the form of a good news warning. There is one acceptable way to approach God. And even if you are here this morning thinking that you are worshiping God, you can even be in church, but you can be offering just enough to get by Christianity that really isn't Christianity. It's a false religion. It is offensive to God. And that false religion, that anti-Christian Christianity inevitably opposes real Christianity why Cain murders Abel. There's an acceptable way to worship God. There's an acceptable way. If we look at verses 8 through 9, we get a couple of lessons I want to share about this character Cain. Two things specifically that we see, that we learn from Cain. The first thing that we learn is, I want you to focus on the, the subtlety of sin. It's the subtle nature of sin. As God recognizes that Cain has grown angry once he sees his offering has had no regard by God, Cain's face falls. God knows it and he comes to him and says, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will, not, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Sin is crouching at the door. Now, this picture, if you imagine sin crouching at the door, what comes to my mind is that of a large cat, right? A predator type of cat, a tiger, a lion, a cougar, crouching. Why does a cat crouch? It does so for two reasons. The first reason is because it's ready to take something out, right? right? The cat crouches because it's ready to jump and devour and destroy. It's going after its prey, so it crouches, okay? Second reason it crouches is it's crouching so you can't see it, right? The cat doesn't want to give itself away, right? So it crouches and it hides so, the, so that the prey won't see it coming, 
right? Sin does exactly the same thing for exactly the same reason. I guarantee you that Cain, while he was bringing his offering to God, he anticipated his offering would be accepted, right? He did not see that sin had already kept distance between him and God. It was just a matter of time before sin was ready to take him out. The sin had already existed there in his heart. Notice the progression. As he comes in and he sees that, that God doesn't accept his offering, Cain is filled with pride. How dare you? <laughs> right? I'm the older brother. This is supposed to, if, if you're accepting anybody's offering up in here, it's supposed to be mine, right? The firstborn. I mean, I got all the credentials. The inheritance is going to be coming my way. I mean, I have gotten, I, because that, that's my name. Even my name brings a degree of respect, right? It's Cain sees that his younger brother, the table has been turned a little bit, and the younger one is the one that God favors, and he fills up because of pride, looks at his brother, and pride gives way to jealousy. Jealousy eventually will give way to hatred, which then gives way to anger, and eventually anger causes him to kill his brother. Folks, there's a subtle nature to sin. Even as we come into this place, many of us have sin that we don't even see that's present in our life, but its effect its desire is to do the exact same thing that it did to Cain that day, right? It wants to hide. It does not want to be seen. And its intention is to take you out, okay? The second lesson that we learn is that there is a serious problem with token worship. Serious, there's a subtle nature to sin, and there's a serious problem of token worship. Cain's sin essentially is religious tokenism. He serves for us this morning as a really a, a warning for against religious hypocrisy. If you'll notice, there's two settings that take place in the narrative, right? There's the altar and then there's the field. There's the altar where the brothers come together to worship, to make an offering, to worship God, right? And there's a field where they live their lives daily, where they sweat to make a living, where they build their lives, place their homes, raise their families. There's an altar and there's a field, okay? And similarly, our lives could be divided up into kind of these two realms that we navigate as well, the altar and the field. There is drawing near to God in the sanctuary and carrying out our cultural mandate in the field. There is sitting at Jesus' feet and serving with Jesus' hands. Our lives could be divided up into these two realms as well. And just in chapter 3, following the original sin, God comes looking for the sinner like he did in Genesis chapter 3. God comes looking for the sinner. God opens his mouth. And as he sees that, that Cain has sinned, that his, his sinned against his brother, he comes to him and he asks him a question, just like he did in Genesis 3 with his father. Only this question is different. If you remember in Genesis 3, the question was, where are you, right? Genesis 4, the question is, where is your brother? God's word comes to Cain and exposes his sin once again. Folks, sin can no longer be analyzed solely in terms of offenses to God. Offenses to God, but also as guilt towards other men. If you remember the sin in Genesis 3, it was an offense to God. Right? They disobedient to God's commandment. Right? Here, the sin is socially expressed. 
It's not simply, sin is no longer simply a religious infraction, but it's a social one as well. So as we consider Cain and his sin, the sin really of of religious hypocrisy, the question that should be asked is, is there any hope for religious hypocrites? Well, let's look at Hebrews 12, 18 through 25. It says this, But if you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned him on earth, much less will they escape if we reject him who warns him in heaven. God said to Cain, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Abel's blood cried out for justice and for punishment. He was right to long for vindication. He was unjustly murdered. But the New Testament looks at the ultimate murder, the ultimate persecution of a man fully righteous whose heart was was pure, the ultimate victim of injustice. And the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel spoke long before. The blood of Jesus did cry for justice. It did cry for punishment. But Jesus on the cross was saying, let the justice and the punishment fall on me. And God was pleased with his worship. He was pleased with his offering. He was pleased with his sacrifice. Jesus' blood was shed for you, was shed for me. And as it cries out now from the ground, it does so with a voice that will speak for generations. And it is a covering that will offer a covering for generations. And the invitation to those who may be religious hypocrites who may be coming into the sanctuary, whose hearts are distant from God. Their life at the altar looks radically different than their life in the field, if you understand what I'm saying, right? The calling to them is to simply come home. Come to Jesus. Don't offer token worship, a part of your heart. He wants the whole thing. He wants the whole thing. Folks, the reality is that Cain, Cain failed in his worship at the altar. And because of that failure, it brought about a failure in the field. Now, lastly, just a quick lesson from Abel. Surprisingly, Genesis 4 is, I said before, rather silent about Abel. The one whom God had regard for. But the rest of the Bible is not silent about Abel. It tells us a great deal, in fact... What we see is that Abel's life is put for us. We see this in Hebrews chapter 11. If you're familiar with that passage, it's kind of known as the hall of faith. Where the, the author of Hebrews goes one character after another and holds them up to say, here's an example of what a life marked by faith looks like. And the first person in human history that is put up in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4 is Abel himself. He's held up by the author of Hebrews as a picture of what a life marked by faith looks like. Listen to what it says. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, 
through which he was com uh, commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Through his faith, though he died, to this day, right now in Genesis 4, he still speaks. He becomes for us as a model of what it looks like and what it means to live a life of faith. We see another great example of how he's brought up and held up as a model in 1 John chapter 3, 11 through 18. If you do have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to that one real quick. It'll be the last one that we look at. Well, there'll be one small one, but yeah. 1 John chapter 3, 11 through 18. So I want to show two ways that Abel's life serves for us as a model of what it looks like to live faith. I'll read this real quick. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. What I love about God's word is that it's one story. It tells one story from Genesis to Revelation. It's not multiple stories. It's one story about a God who wants to make for himself a people and how he does that. This is the message you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever and everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone who has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. First thing that I want to point out in this text that shows us that Abel serves as sort of a, a model for faith is that Abel's life and really the Christian's life is characterized by faith under fire. We see that Abel lived a life of faith and ultimately died because of his faith. The Christian's life can be characterized as faith under fire. Jesus affirms this in Matthew 23 through 30, verse 35 so that on you may call, come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Berechiah whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. So what Jesus does in Matthew 23 is he goes to the first person whose life was devoted to God in the Old Testament Abel to the last person whose life was devoted to God. The last, these are the first one to the last one whose lives were taken from them because their life was their heart was given to God. Folks, the truth is, if we want to live a life of faith, the world is going to have something to say about it, right? They're not going to necessarily accommodate our desire to live faithful lives committed to the Lord Jesus, right? We should get used to the idea of being rejected by the world. It's guaranteed in scripture. We see example after example after example. Your elementary school, your junior high or your high school, your college, your workplace, wherever you find yourself navigating is not necessarily going to accommodate your life of faith. In fact, they will reject it. They will push against it. All right? 
Living a life of faith is living a life that's constantly under fire. But here's the deal. We are, as Christians, okay being excluded by this world. Why? Because our Lord, it is our great joy that our Lord Jesus includes us in his arms. Right? We may be rejected by the world, but praise God, we've been accepted by the creator of the universe. Right? Second thing that we learn from just this passage about Abel that is good for us is that here's the deal. You go back to that scene with Cain and Abel at the altar. And if you were Cain, you might be thinking, how do you know the difference? Right? I, I thought this is what you wanted. How can I be sure of where I stand? Well, here's the deal. In 1 John, he gives us proof positive ways that you can know where you stand with God. In a few moments, we're going to celebrate new life through the sacrament of baptism, right? And baptism is a sign. It's an indication. It's an external expression of an inward change, right? It's a kind of sign you display when you're in the altar, right? When you're in church, when you're gathered with God's people. But it's not the only sign that something inwardly has changed in you. Right? First John says, actually, there's several other signs. Right? In fact, one of them is, is, is persecution in the Bible. You can know if you are being persecuted, you, it's guaranteed it's going to happen. If you are just accepted by every circle that you step into, you might have some serious questions to ask. Okay? If you are just constantly the one accommodating you, your lifestyle for everybody around you, th that's problematic. Okay? But there's another sign in 1 John, and the sign is simply, not just persecution is guaranteed, but you will be somebody who loves. Who loves. Je Jesus said in John 13 that, hey, the world will know who you are. They will know you belong to me by the way you love each other. And he was specifically speaking of the way you love the brothers and sisters in the community of the church. The way we love each other. Right? And this is a serious, serious thing. If you want proof positive of, of how you are in relation to God, you should look at and consider the fruit that you see or don't see in your life. And take it seriously. Right? He has called us to embrace a lifestyle marked by love. That as we encounter folks who have needs, we don't close-handed approach them and say, hey, can I help you? Meanwhile, holding, holding ourselves back. Right? But the Bible says as we approach brothers and sisters that we are to do so in love. And this love is like a sign for everybody to see. Just like the sign of them coming up out of the water. We will celebrate the newness of life. The same should be said as we love one another in the context of our community. Right? Folks, Abel gives us a wonderful example. God doesn't hold back what we can expect the life he has called us to, it is not easy, right? It is not easy. There are some people that are difficult to love, right? And some of us have difficulty loving even the most lovable, right? But here's the deal. God has given us and strengthened us. He is the, the God of encouragement and of endurance. And what he started in you, he is good and he is able to finish it through, right? As we look at the world around us, he doesn't want us to just sit idly. He doesn't want us to just cower in fear, right? No, not at all. 
He doesn't want us to surround ourselves with the comforts and the warm fuzzies that this world has to offer and act like ain't nothing going on, right? He has called us to a new life. And it's a life that will be rejected by many, but we are to go out into this world and put his goodness, his gospel, his grace on display by sharing love with one another, his love with one another. Okay, let me go ahead and pray for us real quick and then we'll get on with the service. Father God, we thank you just this morning for the opportunity that we have to look at your word and to consider, Lord, what you are calling your people to. Lord, we just um, confess that oftentimes as we think about what's going on in the world or in our lives, Lord, that we are tempted to become fearful. Lord, that we may be tempted to draw back Lord, but you have called us to a life that is actively engaging, not just at the altar, but also in the field. You've called us to live a life, and you want us to give you all that we have, all of our heart, Lord, the very best. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to see you as the most treasured, the most cherished, the most precious good in all that all this world has to offer. Lord, and as we live our lives in full devotion to you and, and as we face persecution and, and um, confrontation from those who oppose you, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us. Lord, you would help us to, to live this life as a people, Father. And I pray that you would even just call us to a lifestyle of love. Show us how to do that even this week. Lord, I pray you would show that uh, people in our path that you have placed who need love. Lord, I thank you that you have given to us, and as you have given to us, Lord, I pray that we would extend that to those around us. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.